Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, it's Drea and Jackie, and we are here for, oh, oh, what is that lovely sound clinking ice jackie what what's that sound we're drinking boulevardiers yeah (laughs) (laughs) try it drea oh i have it's tasty i meant saying it oh (laughs) boulevardier yeah hell yeah yeah boulevardier now boulevard (laughs) (laughs) when trying to get it right so i've had this previously Mm. and we were calling them boulevardiers Okay. Yeah. We were looking things up today Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what is the correct, because you guys were not saying that. And I was like, no, I think it's Boulevardiers. Yeah. Then we heard some people say them Boulevardier. You're saying the same thing. No, it's different. Here's Boulevardier. Okay. Boulevardier. (laughs) Are you shitting me? No, that's different. Are you shitting me? No, say it again. Number one. Okay. Boulevardier. Boulevardier. Second one. Boulevardier. You're saying the same thing. I'm really not. I'm really not. Okay, wait, the wait. Second. Let me try. Let me try. Are you ready? Cat. <laughs> wait, no. Let me say it the second way. Yeah. Cat. You're saying them differently because the second no. time you're saying it, you're saying it cat Q-A-T, which is a great Scrabble word no. when you have a Q and no U. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. If, am I insane? I'm joking about cat, but I'm not joking about Boulevardier. Boulevard. <laughs> like Boulevard. Boulevard. Boulevardier. Boulevardier. Okay. Uh-huh. The second one is Boulevardier. Day. Boulevard. Yeah. You're saying Boulevardier. Boulevardier. D-A. That's the difference. I'm going to let this go. Okay. Anyways, we're drinking this cocktail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you a little history on okay. this cocktail, and then we'll go into how we like it. Okay. Okay. So I got a lot. I got all of this information for, from GoBourbon.com, the Boulevardier go History and Happenings by Caroline Paulus. So the, oh God, this word. Okay. The Boulevardier. Yeah. It's a classic cocktail, and it's. Uh, created kind of like during prohibition right before um and um, that's why it tastes like an old shoe mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking i like it um and i really like how caroline described it um in her article she said it's bourbon's answer to the negroni a blend of um camp campari sweet vermouth your favorite whiskey and an orange twist okay mm-hmm. um and truly because we use lemon twists we're we don't even know what it tastes like with orange yeah and like this is so in the more modern sense um people put different variations of whiskey amounts and Mm -hmm. different vermouths like versus sweet and then um instead of an orange they'll do a lemon okay um it's funny that i really liked how she described it because i don't really know what a negroni is yeah so So a negroni like how it was a negroni is a classic cocktail which it kept being on my list of drinks i felt like we should do Mm -hmm. for the podcast and I just kept not getting around to us recording it and or suggesting it. And then we were straight away and they had the like pre-made 
I had a Negroni for the first mm-hmm. time. So it wasn't like shaken by a or stirred by a bartender or whatever, but it was a Negroni made of ne- yeah. Negroni ingredients. Well, that was the first time I had Negroni. And that was the cool thing it was about so good. straightaway cocktails is you have the cocktail straight away because it's already, they had a link, a link. Lintic, Lintic, and and you just open the bottle and you're good. They had Lintic, they had Cosmos, they had Negronis. Yeah, their stuff is super good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, so that was the first time I had it, and I was like, oh, I always wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. I've now had at least a version of a Negroni, and it put it back on my radar. Yeah, that I then forgot about for several months. Yeah, so this is like its little cousin. Cool, and I like bourbon. So, Mm -hmm. and actually, this guy came before the Negroni. Is Negroni with brandy? Uh, gin. Gin. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. So, um, a bartender named Harry McClonin. I should have looked that up. M-C-E-L-H-O-N-E. Yeah. Was in New York. And he's working at the Plaza Hotel and it the prohibition hits, right? <laughs> what? I watched Home Alone 2 last oh night. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were at the Plaza Hotel. Great. Sorry. How was it? It was really good. Cool. So prohibition hits (laughs) and so harry's like i gotta find work so he heads out to europe and eventually he ends up in paris where he opens his own bar harry's new york bar oh it has come up many times Uh uh-huh in all the gin joints (laughs) (laughs) you gotta walk into mine and so him and other bartenders have this really cool opportunity to bring american classic cocktails over to europe and use their ingredients that they had no access to beforehand so um such as um camp campari yeah italian italian Yeah. yeah and so thus begins the great adventure of the Bolivadere. <laughs> Bolivadere. Oh, yeah. Gosh, darn it. You know what I'm trying to I say. I am. Yeah, um, or I do know. And actually, so um, Harry's really well known for his bar books and mm-hmm. like it, uh, one called Bar Flies and Cocktails. And this drink was actually not even featured in the book, but it's more of a footnote. Oh. So it's like it was like an afterthought. Interesting. Mm-hmm, but that was the first time in print that it was ever seen. Okay. Um, and so this cocktail actually became the signature drink of this writer named Erickson Gwen, and he is a socialite, and he's this nephew of a railroad tycoon named um, Alfred Vanderbilt. And so during Prohibition, he's always also like, I'm out of here. Yeah. So he goes to Paris, and he falls in love with this cocktail, and um, he's like an, he begins to be an editor at this publication called The Bolivadere. The Bolivadere. <laughs> God damn it. I love this. Say it for me. Boulevardier. That's where he started working. Awesome. Yeah. So That's funny. Full circle. Do you know who's a Vanderbilt? Uh, I feel like this is a Gossip Girl thing. <laughs> Definitely not. Oh. Well, maybe. I never watched Vanderbilt. I don't know. Go ahead. Anderson Cooper from CNN. Oh, no way. His mom's a Vanderbilt. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Money, mm-hmm. money. So we decided to do a little taste tester. So we made it two ways. So the first way we made it with the... Sazerac rye. Perfect. And that's like a little higher end. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nice. Yeah. And then we used the wild turkey bourbon. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like the first one we made just because... So I like the first one too. Uh-huh. And I was trying to like catch my biases. And I'm like, do I like it? Because it's a nicer uh, liquor base. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think it's because... The first one we made was a little bit more watered down. Mm-hmm. The ice had been sitting a little bit. We kind of overzealously stirred it. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, because with this cocktail, uh, it called for stirring, not shaking, because they didn't want you to dilute it. That, yeah, Kimberly kind of explained shaking versus stirring, which I didn't really know the difference between. And I, th- I think 
I don't like whenever I drink bourbon, it's always on the rocks or on a rock. I I like a slightly dilute. I don't like the harsh bite mm-hmm. of just straight up booze. I think. Yeah. So I think I just liked a slightly watered down version of it. So I, I honestly don't know which recipe i liked better yeah i think you can't go wrong because like in the little recipe it's like use your favorite whiskey Mm -hmm. use whatever you like the most and i think you're right i think i i also like it being cut a little bit with water Mm -hmm. especially because the first couple sips i could taste the campari and you have a campari aftertaste oh yeah it was so crazy and then i had to smell the bottle because i I have to smell things and that smelled awful and i was like well now i have to put it in my mouth and so then we did a taste tester which you could go to our instagram and see that was horrible do not drink it on its own it it was like that medicine you spray in the back of your throat to, to numb everything Mm-mm. oh it was awful um but somehow it works in a cocktail um one day we'll figure out what notes it brings out and why it's used but it sure. works yeah um definitely use a nice ice cube i would say let it melt a little bit yeah. just to cut that harshness okay and wait i have one more little fun okay. fact Bull, uh, how do you say it? Boulevardier. Boulevardier. I would love it if I'm wrong this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it's the first way you, you want to say it, not the second way you say Boulevardier. it. Boulevardier. <laughs> no. Okay, so Boulevardier. You, you that it's different. No, I don't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, Boulevardier. Do you know what it means? No. It means a wealthy, fashionable socialite. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Okay. You're not as impressed as I thought you were going to well, be. It's, I'm trying to, I'm using it in a sentence in yeah. my brain and mm-hmm. I don't, it's jarring sounding. He so was like, a, Great Gatsby was a, a bully, bully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting it in, in contemporary terms and you're saying like, oh, like Kim Kardashian, a boulevardier mm-hmm. was over, I guess it works. And it sounds nice. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Poor, the poor reporter who has to say it though yeah boulevardier mm-hmm. um but yeah that's all my little fun facts about this cocktail what would you give it nine or zero out of ten? Oh, we're ranking them this is so hard yeah <clears throat> i'm gonna give it a seven seven is what i'm gonna give th- like a 7.2 a little more than a seven yeah seven is a classic cocktail it's good you know a bartender probably can't mess it up um but I'm not, it's not my go-to drink. I'm yeah. not going to order it more often than anything else. Yeah. 7.2. Because I, w- I would put an old-fashioned above this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Middle, th- like, 7, not a 5, because it's not bad. No, 6 also sounds bad. Yeah. 7.2, it's fine. I, I'll take it. 7, guys. 7. And I will say, it is so easy to make. It had three ingredients we with did, the garnish. We couldn't mess it up. Yeah. I mean, we could have. <laughs> but we didn't. But we didn't. And we have the ability to. Yes um so yeah that's been cocktail hour i think we're gonna jump into murder here we go all right drea yes i'm gonna tell you about mia zapata mia zapata Mm -hmm. okay let's do it i pulled most of this information from wikipedia Mm -hmm. a rolling stone article Mm -hmm. and an episode of forensic Files. hell yeah i will say rolling stone does amazing articles yes they do yeah like really good yeah i mean you don't need us to tell you that but, but they're good. They're so good. About any, like, weird random stuff. Yes. And I, murders. I, yeah, because I've quoted them a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so Mia was born August 25th, 1965 in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and that's where she grew up. She learned to play the piano by age nine. 
and was very kind of musically inclined. She had a wide variety of influences. Um, it's the 70s, so she's uh, into jazz, blues, R&B, but also the developing punk scene. Oh. So she's from an affluent family, and she went to parochial school. So like Catholic school, like, oh, okay. you know, uh, religious. Um, her father said that she was never really into material things. And he kind of described it as like, she kind of lived on two sides of the street. She lived on the side that was like, went to parochial school, like had money, tennis clubs, all this stuff. But she also like crossed the street and didn't care two shits about any of that. And was not into material stuff whatsoever and didn't care about financial comfort. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like when she left home, Never really cared about money. Or do you do you think maybe she was like actually being her true self when she left home? Because like I think so. being put into that school For that sure. wasn't her choice, yeah. or maybe it was. Well, but that was just how she was right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she leave in 1985. She heads off to Ohio for college, and mm-hmm. she's like a liberal art, liberal arts studies. Mm-hmm. Liberal studies. I'm gonna say liberal studies. Great, that flows a little bit better. <laughs> um, while she's there, she starts a band with three friends that she makes. A punk band? A punk band. Oh. Um, they call themselves the Gits. The Gits? The Gits. Okay. Uh, they've got guitarist Joe Spleen, drummer Steve Moriarty, and bassist Dro, uh, Matt Dresner. Okay. Um, in 1989, they leave Ohio and they head to Seattle. And they're like, this is, so this is before all of that really takes off. They're getting in on the, but they're like, we hear there's a live music scene. Like, let's get to Seattle. Yeah. So they get there and they take up residence in this like abandoned house that uh they call it the rat house oh oh no and uh mia starts working at a bar like down the street i think so i think there's a house kind of like that around here because i feel like phil has talked about like bands oh, uh-huh. playing at an old abandoned house so there's this old abandoned house that's not just like just the gits are there i think they're all kind of crashing there it's a rehearsal space there's other bands i i think that's kind of what i was picking up from the stuff i was reading okay okay so uh they are a part of this like growing punk and i hadn't so i'd seen uh sub pop like logos stickers like i've heard that term before and seen it and i didn't really get that that was another term for like punk music okay and you know things kind of down that other sub pop i don't know like there might also be a sub pop uh music I, I can't help you. You, you can't help nope. me. Yeah. It <laughs> I struck know. me as familiar and I went, oh, it has more meaning than I thought it did. Yeah. I know okay. nothing about genres of All music. Right. So they're a part of it. Uh, it's in Seattle. So they are like, you'll talk about the gits in the same breath that you're talking about Pearl Jam, that you're talking about oh, Nirvana, okay. that you're talking about... Uh, Soundgarden, like they're all part of this changing. Wow! All in like the Capitol Hill area of Seattle, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of different venues, and they're all kind of playing the same shows and gaining notoriety. So, uh, part of what kind of sets the gets apart is that they have a female lead singer, and everything else is kind of male. Like three quarters of the band is guys because there's you know everybody else is a dude, but um, like. Without them trying or even really wanting to be a part of it, the feminist movement in Seattle kind of catches on to the mm. kids. And they're like, here's this strong woman. She's the lead. Yeah. And, like, and people that knew uh, that knew, that knew Mia were like, she didn't really care about, like, she wasn't super political in that way. Like, their music's very cerebral. But, like, it was a scene. She kind of, and especially what happens, like, she kind of gets picked up as, like, a... Oh. Uh, 
Martyr's not the right word, but... Yeah, um, but a leader, uh, a yeah, head. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so uh, they're kind of doing live shows around Seattle, but they embark on this kind of like international tour. So they're like going on Whoa. tour, they're going through... And an international can be as as much as like Canada. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's kind of what I... You know, I don't know that they're going to France and stuff. We should do an international tour. Well, we could. <laughs> We're not that far. That'd be fun. Oh, you mean location-wise? I, I meant like we could go on an international tour. Yeah, I thought you meant we were like close to going on tour. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no. Proximity-wise, <laughs> yeah. we're in the Northwest. Hey, we got some uh, Toronto, we do. Ontario. I've never been to Canada. Me neither. We should go to Canada. Okay. I really want to go to Banff. Kimberly, we're going to go to Canada. You can't hear it, but she's very excited. She's super excited. <laughs> okay, so uh, they're working their way up in the scene. They're getting mm-hmm. a good reputation. Um, they put out their first indie album, and that's called Frenching the Bully. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> in uh, 1992. And the album's well-received. Things are going well. They So at this time, they're recording their second album. They're being pursued by major record labels, and they're planning a really large tour that's going to go like U.S., overseas back to the u.s like they're planning all this stuff they were only in town when this happens they were only in town for like three days as like a stopover between tour dates so now it's gonna be sad Hmm. on july 7th 1993 okay around 12 a.m mia leaves the comet uh comet tavern she's had a couple drinks with friends they're in the Capitol Hill area of Seattle. At the time, it's known for being kind of rough. Like, there's cheap rents. There's a bunch of, like, bars. There's live music. There's crime. Um, you know, it's kind of big city stuff. And she leaves the bar. She's going looking for her ex-boyfriend at, like, a rehearsal space that's, uh-huh. like, a block or so from the bar. She gets there, and he's not there. He's out. And then she stops by another friend's house, and she's there till like, 2 in the morning. She leaves, and... and She's like, so it's the middle of the night. She's been drinking, but people don't really describe her as like super intoxicated and drunk. Um, She could have taken a cab. And like, there's a little bit of scrutiny of people like, why wasn't she taking a cab through these like bad neighborhoods? But like, she liked walking. She walked all the time. It's nice walking around Seattle. Yeah. Um, So she's just kind of walking from place to place. Okay. So a sex worker finds a woman's body in the early morning hours. Oh, no. um, Beaten raped strangled in the central district of seattle so this is i think like two miles from like capitol hillish area i don't know seattle super well but it's kind of what i gather um the woman had been strangled with like the hoodie pulls oh my gosh from her gets sweatshirt that she's wearing oh my gosh so like someone had taken it out of the hoodie and used it or do you don't know or do you think they i don't know if the hood's behind i don't know oh that's awful um the body's found between two Catholic buildings. Okay. And it's kind of like when police first come across it, they think it's kind of posed, like legs together, arms out, <gasps> almost like a crucifix. Yeah. And they're in this kind of religion. So like at yeah. first they're like, is this some sort of thing, like a bigger yeah. Helter, message? Helter kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, identification was stalled originally because there's no ID on the body. There's no driver's license or anything. But during the autopsy, the medical examiner recognizes <gasps> Mia as the lead singer of the Gits. Because oh. he would go out to live shows and was super into <gasps> live music. And he just, he, she's wearing the get sweatshirt. I don't yeah. know if that helps trigger it, but he, he's like, oh, that's Mia. Yeah. So that's how they originally kick off who they're looking, you know. Yeah. Um, she, Wait, why did, oh, because someone had taken her wallet. 
Because she didn't have ID. I don't know. Because she was know. out at the bars. Yeah, but okay. like she lived there. Like it oh, might okay. be one of those things where it's like, yeah, I don't know. Okay. That, that also kind of confused me. But when her body is found, there is no ID. Okay. Um, And because she, like what the medical examiner said was even if she hadn't been strangled, the trauma to her body from being beaten would have killed her. Ugh. And so there, and there's like no evidence. Like there's no, nothing there's not uh, someone else's blood like they they have yeah. very little to go on was she moved or was she they do think she was moved okay um they find a bite mark on her breast <gasps> that has a little bit of saliva like they test and, and they, they have that the print was there like a i don't know okay. you know and like also bite marks like hasn't that kind of been a little bit disproven i feel like if you have a wonky tooth maybe they can find you maybe yeah People got funky teeth. Uh, but so she's got this bite mark. And at the time, so this is like 1993, they go and like maybe two months prior, very close to when this all happens, this dude had just won the um, Nobel Peace Prize. I think it's a Nobel Peace Prize uh, for discovering how to essentially take very small, minute amounts of DNA Ooh. and create more from it. So... At the time, they're like, the science is so new. We have such a small sample. We don't want We're wanna. afraid we're going to ruin it if we try this. Yeah. So they put it in cold storage, and they're like, let's wait till science catches up. Okay. So then, um, meanwhile, the gits and the kind of the punk rock scene, the grunge scene in Seattle, uh, bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, all of them start raising money. They're like, nothing's happening. Let's hire a private investigator wow so they like put out a benefit yeah they like put out a benefit album they so they make about i think seventy thousand dollars they hire this uh investigator and her name is lee heron and she starts following up on all these leads and interviewing people and trying to figure out what's going on they run through the money pretty quickly and then she just personally starts because she just cares yeah um but nothing really comes from it nine years go by like are you saying that this isn't resolved Hold on. Okay. I was about to. So it's unresolved for a long time. And then in 2001. Okay. They're like, we think science has caught up. Okay. Let's run the sample. Yeah. So they pull it out. They run the sample. And this is the, the city or the um, investigators or it's family pushing it, for it? Uh, the police. Everything. I, okay. I just don't know if it's, you know, uh, Monroe County or yeah. if it's Washington State or FBI. You know, I don't know. I would what. be so curious to learn how a case gets pushed up. Like, hey, it's been this long. Like, who? You, you have know cold I mean? case detectives. Yeah. And, I'll, and like, maybe like, like it circles around once a year. Like, I don't know what the case yeah. code is. But I'm sure someone gets eyes on it and then goes, all right, it's been nine years. It's been 10 years. Let's run this. We thing. have the technology now. Yeah. yeah. But I don't really know how that so system curious. works. It's worth talking okay. to somebody. Yeah. Um, so they run it and they create a profile, mm. but it doesn't get any hits. And they're like, okay, so whoever has this DNA profile isn't in CODIS. Mm-hmm. 2003, DNA eventually matches to a man named Jesus Mes- Mesquia. Okay. Um, when his information is entered into CODIS for an arrest in Florida. So he gets entered in for burglary and domestic abuse. So now they get this hit off him, off this profile. And so they start looking into him. He has a long history of violence with women. Uh, Every partner he's ever had is like put in restraining orders and like uh, complained about him. And originally police are only finding things in Arizona and Florida. And they're like, 
awesome. We have a DNA hit, but we can't put him in Washington. Mm -hmm. Like he lives across the country. Like we need to get him in Washington. So then I think, I think what happens is he ends up being in the news and they're like, Hey, there's a profile hit on this cold case from this famous, uh, you know, musician in Seattle, a woman sees a picture of Jesus and she's like, that dude flashed me in Seattle. Ah, so then they find, so either she reports it then or it's an old report. I'm, I'm don't quite know when the, uh, when that tie gets made. Mm-hmm. Um, but they put Jesus in Seattle within two weeks of the crime, flashing, flashing people. Gotcha. So interesting that they needed to place him there before they could go get, get him, even though They're they had a DNA. they to make a really solid definitely, case. They didn't definitely, have to. Yeah. But they also know that leaves a, uh, leaves a defense attorney room to be like, yeah. dude's nowhere near there. Yeah. And you can only hold him for so long. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So they bring him in. He agrees to talk with police and they like are putting out all these photos in the interrogation room and they put out Mia's photo and they just started accusing him. They're like, which one of these women have you killed? And he's like, I didn't kill. And I think he kind of has like broken English. Like he's got that, like when they quote him, it's not full English mm-hmm. sentences. And he's saying like, I don't know any of these people. And then like, then they hammer on me and they're like, no, you killed her. And he's like, nope, I've never met her before. Um, and they go, uh, so they're accusing him of killing her. And then he, he's like, I've never met. And they, they're really they want to make sure they get him saying, I've never met her. I've never seen her. I, they want to have him caught in the fact that he can't say, oh, yeah, I met her at a bar. We Like, he doesn't want him, they don't want him to be able to explain the DNA in a non-homicidal way. Gotcha. Um, and he's playing right into that. He's like, nope, never seen her, never been there, don't know her. Because if he's like, oh, I, I met her that night. I met her and- that night. We made out in an alley. Like, he could say whatever. Yeah. And then he can explain and excuse that. why his DNA mm-hmm. would be on her. So they're like, okay, he's saying exactly what we need him to say if he's lying. Yeah. So it turns out that he lived three blocks from where her body was found at the time. Whoa, three blocks? They believe that Mia was wearing a Walkman and had headphones on, and she didn't hear him when he approached her. So he had a car. What they think happened is that he pulled up. Because all of her friends, everybody they interviewed was like, she would not get into a car with someone she didn't know. That's yeah. not just, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. So they think he snatched her, just abducted her. They think he attacked her either in another location or in the backseat of the car. Oh. And then he and then he dumped her body. That's so scary. Yeah. Oh, and that's why there was no DNA. Because it would have been Oliver's car then. Yeah. Oh. So the, And that's long gone. That was, you know, 10 years oh, prior. Oh, no. So, and then like uh, it, one of one of the people in her band was like, it was so, he was like, it was prophetic and kind of twisted that we were, they were recording their second album. And he's like, two weeks before, like really, really soon before that all happened, he came into the studio and she was writing a song. And he's like, what are you writing? She's like, I'm writing a song about a serial killer killing me. Like there's a song, it's been recorded of, she's like, there's, this just keeps happening. She's talking about crimes on women like it was he goes it was just kind of like so there's this weird song yeah Yeah. that exists that's kind of what happened to her did they release it yeah i think it's on their second album oh that's crazy and uh so mosquito was convicted in 2004 okay and he's originally sentenced to 37 years he appeals it kind of gets through like the so what ends up evidence really years. like was it the dna evidence it was a DNA. that really okay it was and the then dna they, they put him there that there. was enough for a jury to 
to convict him. That and it was just a random. It was super random opportunity, and it had nothing to do with who she was. Oh my god, that's so sad. And originally, like when it first happened, they were looking at the sex boy. She's like, oh, she went looking for the sex boyfriend. Like he had an ironclad alibi that he was out with friends. He wasn't where she had gone. Like, but that was originally where it went. And then when that fizzled, they were like, "There, we got nothing. nothing. Yeah. And so he's in jail, you said, for 37 years? or 36 years is what it ended up being. Um, is he doing like that whole like appeal process, getting out early? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. Okay. He's been in prison since. And he's up in Washington? Uh, I would think so, but okay. I don't. I That's don't crazy. Yeah. That's so sad. And I wasn't familiar with them. I hadn't heard their music. Yeah. And I, I've listened to some, like. It's very of the time. Yeah. You know, if you like punk music, it's good. Yeah. And what was your tie to the cocktail? Oh, that she was walking down the street and different boulevards. And that was my tie. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I kept, well, when I kept texting you guys, I was like, yeah, the boulevards of dro- broken dreams, like the boulevard yeah. <laughs> of, I can't say this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good tie. Good tie. It was like a funky word to work with. It was a funky, yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's no, like, I couldn't find any cases that had that cocktail in it. So No. I and I, like, looked different... up different ingredients and mm-hmm. stuff. This, this, uh, ultimately, this was a story I just wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. I was going to tell it, I think, for the Pop Rocks episode, Pop mm-hmm. Rocks Cosmo. <gasps> yeah. Rock, like I, and then I just, ultimately, I shelved it and was like, oh, I'll tell that one later. Yeah. Um, no, that was a great story. So crazy. It's a it's a good forensic files episode. There's a documentary that I haven't seen that mm-hmm. I want to see. Yeah. It sounds like it you know it was a cool time and it was all unique, changed music and, mm-hmm. and she was they paving were, the they way. Were part yeah. of um all right, we are gonna refresh in our drinks and we'll be right back. It's mid-roll time. ma ma ma, ma mid Here we go. Boy, boy. No. Time to learn some things. <laughs> um, right up top, we want to thank our sponsors. Yeah, we do. We're looking at you, Shannon. Thank you so much for Shannon. your donation. Um, they just keep rolling in, and it warms my heart. It's super exciting. It creates a text flurry between the three of us. Uh-huh. We got money in the bank. Shorty, what you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have some other exciting news. We have a local mixologist coming to the podcast soon. Her yep. name is Tatiana. She's our good friend. Um, and she actually has an event going on soon. Yeah. So she'll be on the podcast. Well, in the Instagrammy, you'll be aware of her in a couple weeks for our episode, for our Valentine's Day episode. But before that, if you are local to Central Oregon, let me tell you about this cool cocktail thing that she's doing. So the name of her stuff is Keto Karate and Cocktails. That's uh, on Instagram. That's her handle. Correct. Um, and the event is called How Sweet It Is. How sweet it is. Um, so this is coming up. It's in association with Bowtie Catering. It's coming up this Friday, February 7th at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. So check it out. Essentially, you get to learn what I really loved about when she came and hung out with us was she does these really delicious cocktails. But her whole thing is she's keto and was trying to find a way to how do you make delicious cocktails and drinks that... You still get to do all the fun stuff of mixology, mm-hmm. but they're not like crazy sugar bombs. Yeah, yeah. And she has some really cool tips on how to make them sugar-free and also just bartending skills that we didn't know. For sure. So if And you... puns. I learned a lot of puns. <laughs> she She's so many fun. puns. She's fantastic. Yes. That's funny. I did a pun. Laugh. I, she's puntastic? Like fantastic? No? Fantastic's really? not a word. Ah, oh, god damn it, Jackie. <laughs> 
whatever. She's a really good mixologist, so if you're in Central Oregon, definitely go check her out. I recommend it, yeah. <laughs> and they can go online and uh, sign up for the class. Yes, they can, and Sweet. they should. Yes. They can, and they will. And I don't know, we might be there, so if you kind of want to meet us, it might oh, be a two-for-one. But uh, we shall see. That's exciting. Okay, guys, enjoy the rest of the episode. Bye. Hey guys, we're back from our break. Good to be back. Yeah, it is good to be back. Yeah, I went to the restroom. How was it? It was nice. Yeah, you were quick. There's not a lot going on in there. <laughs> okay, perfect. We're going to just jump into my story. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you about Madeline Smith. And I got this really good article from Douglas uh, McGowan, and it's entitled The Madeline Smith Story. Um, but before that, I'm going to tell you about Pierre-Emile L'Angelais. Right on. Very French. <laughs> uh, so Pierre... Damn, that's a French-ass name. <laughs> bon, qui, qui. Um, okay, so Pierre is born in April of 1823. Oh. Mm-hmm. An oldie but a goodie. Yes. Um, he's born in France. Um and he lives in the Channel Islands. Uh, he's the eldest of five children. And the family owns this, like, seed merchant business. And they kind of run it out of their home. Seed merchant? Yeah. So they're kinda, money and seeds. They're kind of in the plant business. Okay. Yeah. Not the shrubbery business. No, no, but... no, no, no. Yeah. Before they become shrubs. So Pierre's father sends him off to be an apprentice um, at a neighboring nursery. And this is where Pierre learns uh, English, and which is really good for the business because they want to start attracting British um, customers. Okay. Um, and in 1842, a man named Sir Francis Mackenzie asked Pierre to come work for him at his Scottish estate. Hmm. And Pierre's like, heck yeah. Uh, so while there, uh, Pierre learns a ton. Um, however, one year after arriving, Sir Francis dies, hmm. like kind of out of the blue. Um, which means Pierre is stranded. He's in Edinburgh and like, he doesn't know anybody yeah. and he doesn't have a lot of money. You know, he's being an apprentice. Um, but luckily the nursery there really liked him and they're like, we'll keep you on. We'll keep training you. Um, so over the next few years, Pierre works as a nursery man in Scotland, the Channel Islands and in France. Okay. Um, and then in 1852, he moves to Glasgow. Um, now I'm going to tell you about Madeline. Um, Madeline is born on March 29th, 1835. Um, she's born to a very wealthy, uh, family. Like her father is an architect and his mother, um, is a lady during that time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just being a lady. Just, just being a lady. Um, and Madeline, uh, would also be the eldest of five uh, siblings. Okay. Um, and from, uh, being from a wealthy family, Madeline is educated and learns proper, like, lady things, such as manners. Carrying a book on your head. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very important. Um, and how to be a proper socialite or a boulevardier. Or bo boulevardier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your tie? That's my tie. How do you do this? I have a brilliant mind. It's kind of like a beautiful mind situation where I just map it all out on a window interesting no i don't <laughs> oh i knew that was bullshit but i still i'm still interested we do go about it in different ways mm -hmm. well because i i like looked up the word and i saw it had a definition yeah and then i started looking for socialites i mean i get yeah i see how you get there mm -hmm. I, I know like it. i know it's amazing <laughs> i amaze myself <laughs> enough about me so 
during this time, um, class separation is a big thing. It's always a thing. It's always a thing. It's still a thing. Um, and so it's a really big deal that her and her family always go out to these parties and they're socializing with other wealthy folk. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of have their own little bubble that they stay in. So as she gets older, she travels to London and she attends the Academy for Young Ladies. And she, again, is taught more manners because you can never have enough manners. So true. (laughs) She takes piano lessons and arts and crafts and then returns to her family, um, in the summer of 1853 and at this time she's 18 years old okay so while in glasgow pierre sees madeline and he's like oh my gosh be still my heart she is so pretty and he's like i have to meet her but he's not from a wealthy family so he's like how am i gonna cross lovers yeah how am i gonna get to this pretty lady and so he starts asking around and it takes a couple weeks but he finally finds a mutual acquaintance and he's like you have to introduce us and um they meet and they kind of hit it off and so in the early spring of 1855 um they kind of start this secret love affair this is fun Mm -hmm. and um they they would like try to rendezvous in the streets like accidentally wink mm-hmm. wink oh or at different shops and be like oh are you at the butcher weird me too funny running into you here yeah and they start writing these love notes back and forth and um one uh she writes to pierre and it says my dear pierre i do not feel as if i were writing you for the first time we have become as familiar friends as friends may we long continue so hmm. so she's like right off the bat you my person but as all great love stories go, um, Madeline's family finds out, her father finds out, and oh, he's no. like, Mm-mm-mm. he's from the wrong walk of life. You can't see him. You have to end this now. She got to throw down some Madonna. Papa, don't preach. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you just said to me. <laughs> There's a Madonna song. Oh. It's like, Papa, don't preach. Gotcha. Unrelated. Cool. Um, <laughs> uh, so Madeline writes pierre and says we have to break this off i'm so sorry but i i wish you the best is she pretend breaking it off no she she, she's she's real breaking yeah she lives with her family like this is the notebook yeah oh uh i don't remember this in the notebook when the mom's like quit dating that boy oh (laughs) i just remember crying (laughs) (laughs) the whole time how many times have you seen the notebook once oh twice once, once on accident and I cried, and the second time I wanted to cry and I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I thought you'd seen it a million times. No, why would I watch a cry movie a million times? People watch cry movies a million times. I don't need that in my life. Sometimes you just need a good cry. Mm, which is it, why you intentionally tried to cry. And so now I can't watch, so now it won't be my cry movie. We don't know that. You Armageddon. Can watch it again. Armageddon has made me cry like 10 times. Yes. Armageddon will always make me cry. Do you know what movie I just cried to? I'm excited about this. My big fat Greek wedding. No, <laughs> <laughs> that should make me cry. Oh uh, no, Big Hero Six. Oh, I never saw it by Disney. It's on Disney Plus. Disney will make you. I cry. cried three times. Once in the beginning because you always cry in the beginning. Once in the middle, yeah. like towards the beginning middle, and then once at the end. I'm a blubbering mess. W- Any I Toy w- Story is gonna get me. Oh, oh, oh my god. I got out of Inside Out and I texted my friend because she had worked on Inside Out and I was like, "How dare you make me cry over someone named Bing Bong." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay. anyway anyway all that she so, breaks it off mm-hmm. she's like i'm gonna listen to my parents yeah i'm gonna break it off with this boy i love what i love but pierre is like 
no, 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 no. I really like you. And like, I can't, you can't he's leave tasted me. the sweet nectar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, he's like, please just meet with me again. Um, and so, um, Madeline agrees and she goes to their mutual friend's house and the mutual friend is named Miss Mary Perry. I like her name. Uh huh. Um, and they meet at her house and then they start the romance up again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause she doesn't want to break it off with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they keep meeting up and sometimes they go to Miss Perry's or sometimes he sneaks into Madeline's house late at night. Dangerous. Uh-huh. Little romantic. Um, and then they both realize that they truly do love each other. So they start to plan their wedding and they decide to have it in June of 1856. Um, and then in the meantime, they are referring to each other as husband and wife because, you know, they're each other's booze. Um, they're lobsters. It, they're what? They're lobsters. They're lobsters? You never watch Friends? Oh, God. Oh, my God. I hate you. <laughs> yes, I've seen Friends. I don't think you've seen Friends or The <gasps> Office. I hate it. Okay. But anyway, they're yeah referring to each other as husband and wife, and they're yeah, all yeah, excited yeah. to get married. Yeah. Um, and, like, every it's all secret. None of the families know. Um, and so because of that, Pierre's like, you have to burn all the letters I send you. Like, I don't want you to get caught with my letters. Oh, um, she's like, I like these letters. I don't want to burn them. No, she burns them. Okay. But he keeps his because he's not staying with his family. And he's like, I love these this girl. These are safe here. Yeah, these are safe here. <clears throat> Foreshadowing? Possibly. Let's continue. So... <laughs> But what the lovers don't realize is that Madeline's parents have begun looking for a husband for her because it's of the yeah. time oh, they're yeah. going to marry her off. If you're a boulevardier, they're going to find you a husband. <laughs> 100%. Um, and they actually find someone that they really like. And this guy's name is William Manuk. Sure. Um, and he's in his 30s. He's a very wealthy merchant. And he's conveniently right next to their house. He lives right in the neighborhood. I got two things to say about this. Yeah. He reminds me of Cal from Titanic. Oh, uh-huh. And he's probably seeing some slipping in and slipping out of windows. Oh. Right? So you think he's hip to it? I, or he could be. There's opportunity for him to be hip to it. Definitely. Oh, I like where you're going with this. Okay. So in September of 1856, the family has William stay with them at their summer house. So the whole family goes to their summer house. William, come along. Let's have you meet. You need to fall in love with our daughter. Meet our gal. Yeah. So William tries his best to get to know her and he's like whining and dining her. Mm -hmm. And Madeline realizes that her family is trying to set her up. And she's like, well, William isn't that bad. And her, and my family approves of him. And he just proposed to me. Mm. So I guess I'll get married to William. Ouch. Yeah. So she accepts his proposal. And that's this in, is the notebook. In You're telling me the story of the notebook. <laughs> what if I was telling you the story of the notebook? <laughs> we should do another podcast where we just like retell <laughs> movies. <together>. Yes. <laughs> we have Regal Unlimited. Our, our memory version <laughs> of a movie. <laughs> Combined. I love it. Um, so Madeline gets... Um, pen and paper and she writes pierre a letter in early february and she's essentially saying you know pierre i once loved you but i don't anymore she sends him a dear john yeah and going forward forward we should just pretend like we don't know each other and i'm gonna need all those love letters back that you saved of mine um and then she's like i trust your honor as a gentleman that you will not reveal anything that may have passed between us but but now he might be a little upset 
Mm-hmm. Well, Pierre's like, fuck that noise. Yeah. These are my love letters, and I love you, and I'm your person. We're going to make this work. And he refuses to give back the letters, and so Madeline writes him again. But by this time, Pierre had heard rumors of their engagement, mm. and he was like, you need to tell me what's going on. And Madeline is like, no, 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 no. None of that's true. And Pierre... She's a little two-faced. Uh-huh. And she's like, yeah, Pierre, just give me those letters. Just, you little <gasps> kook, just give me those letters. And Pierre's like, hard no. And instead of giving them back, he's like, I'm going to show... This him. is a very dramatic story. Mm-hmm. I picked some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to show them to your father. <gasps> hmm That's a dick move, Pierre. I get why what? you're... 100%. I get why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Just, it's not okay. Yeah. With, be, go out for beers with your friends and complain about this little <laughs> hussy that broke your heart. How weird is it to think about someone going out in 1850 to go have beers with their friends? I know. But they do. <laughs> yeah. Let's get a nice strong ale. Yeah. And then be like, I can't believe it. And they'll be like, oh, we never liked her. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get out of there. Get out of there. Oh. So, but Madel- he's her, I, you know, yeah. people are humans. They got human emotions. So, Madeline then writes two more letters to Pierre, begging him not to tell her father about their affairs. That's another uh-huh of evidence yes quit sending him evidence uh-huh. because you know she's like you're gonna ruin my entire life yeah my family's gonna be dishonored just go away i'm gonna be dishonored um yeah just please you're gonna ruin any chance of me getting married in the future yeah um and so finally she's like you know what let's just meet up face to face these letters aren't getting through let can we just can yeah. we talk please so pierre is super stoked and they're finally gonna meet up and he tells miss perry Miss Mary Perry, um, how they're going to hash things out in a couple days, and they're going to meet up on February 19th. But on the night of the 19th, Pierre starts getting really sick. He starts having these like crazy violent stomach pains. Oh, no. Um, and then he has, he has to like wait it out throughout the night. But by morning, he's recovered. Okay. Maybe he has ulcerative colitis. No, we don't know. Okay. So I'll just say that. You know who likes poisoning people? Uh-huh. Ladies. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. So then, then again, Pierre comes down with this violent stomach attack, and it leaves him bedridden for eight days. Eight days? Uh-huh. A Can week? You, I, <laughs> it's not enough to show I care. Ooh, I need Are you giving love me a Beatles me. reference right now? I love the Beatles. I saw that movie yesterday. So oh, good. Oh, we did talk about that. Yes. I'll categorize I grew up you on as, the Beatles. I'll categorize you as a Beatles fan. I'm not Ben. On. I'm not a lunatic. Yeah, no. I, he's just doing it to be different. They're national treasure. Okay. But can you imagine eight days sick in bed? Like, I just by, had what? Five? Six? But were you like bed sick? No. All, yeah. No. I, by day three, you're losing your mind. Yeah. But they don't have any, like, common cold men. I mean, I guess they have the apothecary they go to and get stuff, but they don't They're have, like... heroin. Di- <laughs> they get cocaine when they don't feel well. It's the 1850s. Oh, man, I'm so sick right now. <laughs> Maybe that's why it took eight days to get better. But Damn. anyway, that yeah. is outrageous to me. Yeah. No, he is sick. Very, very sick. Well, someone's poisoning him. We don't know. What's going on? Probably poisoning him. Yeah. So <laughs> what Pierre doesn't know yet is that on Saturday, Saturday the 21st, Madeline, Madeline goes to a local apothecary and buys some arsenic. Arsenic. 
Mm-hmm. As you can. You just go to the apothecary and get some arsenic. Yeah. Um, and she tells- Why would an apothecary be selling arsenic if not to kill someone? Well, she told tells them that she needs to kill some rats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Good okay. Story. <laughs> and so she, she pays the man and she signs the poison book, which it's required by law that you sign this poison book anytime you buy a poison at I an apothecary. kind of love it. Yeah. I love that that's so long ago. I would not think that there's any sort of checks and balances. Mm-hmm. But then you also go, well, you got a bunch of people living in society. They'll, they're going to have poison books. Uh-huh. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so on March 6th, uh, Madeline goes back to the apothecary and she buys more arsenic. And then on March 9th, Pierre is having some tea with Miss Mary uh, Perry. And he says, I cannot think why I was so unwell after getting that coffee and chocolate from her. From her? From her. She's a fool. Mm-hmm. You got to hide that if you're going to be poisoning people. It mm-hmm. can't be from you. Um, and Pierre then tells Miss Mary that he is so in love with uh, Madeline that if she were to poison me, I would forgive her. Okay, so he kind of knows she did it. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. He's like, well, I'm putting two and two together. She probably poisons me. Stop seeing her. And Miss Mary... Stop eating things from her. Miss Mary Perry is just gathering this information? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, is she advising in any way? I think so, yeah. Like, hey, let it go? Yeah. Get away from her? No I idea. she's poisoning you? It's weird, but I wasn't there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it can't be sure. Um, so on March 17th, uh, Madeline and her family return from a trip. And the following day, Madeline just goes again to buy more arsenic. She's just third time? Uh, yeah, third She's fourth, yeah. in this poison book. Uh, Repeat. Yes. <laughs> and then on the 19th, Pierre goes to Bridge of Allen, about five miles north of Sterling, for a week-long vacation. He's like, you know what? I need to get away. I need to rest. I've been so sick. I need to get out of the city. Um, But he comes back early on the evening of March 22nd, telling his landlady that he had received a letter calling him back. But he would uh, return to Bridge of Allen the following day. So he's like, I'm just here for the night. I I have some business I need to take care of. So he asked for the key to the front door because he's like, I'm going to be out late tonight and I don't want to wake you. Um, And then after midnight, early in the morning of the 23rd, Pierre's landlady hears loud noises coming from the front door. And she finds Pierre doubled over in pain. Yeah. So she gets a doctor to come look at him to see what's going on. But unfortunately, he dies 10 hours later. Dude. Mm-hmm. Poisoned. And so they're like, okay, what was going on with Pierre? Yeah. So they start searching his person. They <clears throat> they start searching his room. They're finding hella letters. Uh-huh. So while searching, they find all these letters. And um, they have find one that says, hey, come back from vacation. I need to oh, see yeah. you. They find letters on him in his office, in his room. They're everywhere. Yeah. So um, in the meantime, William, the new uh, fiance, mm. swing by uh, Madeline's house to say hi. And it's a Thursday. It's March 26th. Um, but she's nowhere to fi- be found. She's gone. Okay. She's missing. And William's like, um, maybe she's up at your summer home in Clyde. Like, I'll go out there with her brother and we'll, we'll go searching for her. And so during their travel, they, they have to take a boat up there. Uh, they see Madeline on the boat. And she's just sitting there calmly, like, looking out in the water. And they're like, hey there. What's up? Gal, what's going on? Um, and... They like make it back to the house and they're like, why, why did you, why did you take off without telling anyone? And she was like, well, I, I'm afraid that my parents would be very upset 
at what I have done. Oh. And um, and they're like, oh, okay, well, that's that's great. Let's let's go back into town. Um, so they head back into town, and on March 31st, after finding all the all of the letters, uh, p- um, police arrest Madeline. And so she admits that her and Pierre were lovers and that she had written the letters to him and that at one point they had planned to get married. Um, she also admitted that she did buy the arsenic, um, but she said that she needed it to wash her face and her arms, like as a cosmetic remedy. That that's, she- I mean, that's what I do. That's normal. <laughs> Is that why you glow? Yeah. Wow. Little known fact. I try not to talk about it because I don't want the arsenic prices to rise. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. <laughs> um, but anyways, she admits all that, but she's like, no, 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 but I didn't poison Pierre. I just have a lot of poison. I have a lot of poison for my face. Yeah. So the police are like, you know, we don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> all signs point to you. Yeah, did it. So she goes to trial and it's this huge case. It's like all over. Um, I mean, it's a good all story. Over Europe. Yeah. Um, and so her trial begins on June 30th of 1857. And Madeline is represented by a team. And due to the court rules of the time, Madeline is not allowed to take the stand. And she has to rely solely on her legal counsel and on her deposition. So it's kind of like up to them to yeah. like get her out of this. So during the trial, the streets are like crowded with people. This They're, is like the OJ case. This is the OJ at the time. <laughs> She's got a dream team. Uh-huh. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like um, yeah, people are in the streets. They're trying to get a glimpse of her. The newspapers are there. Um, the prosecution tries to get all of Madeline's letters submitted as evidence and Pierre's diary, which he's kept pierre he's, pierre. A, he's a sentimental guy mm-hmm. keeping these letters keeping a diary uh-huh and it uh in his diary pierre talks about his stomach illnesses and how yeah. he'd just seen madeline oh and, it's perfect diaries uh, are great when it comes to court trials uh-huh um but the defense said that since pierre was dead that the written entries could not be questioned or properly cross-examined and in the end the diary diary was not submitted as evidence mm, uh, okay yeah and so during the trial, a lot of witnesses take the stand. Um, Madeline's sister goes up there and she's like, she was there at the house all the time. Like she couldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, her fiance takes the stand or should I say ex-fiance? Because oh. he withdrew his proposal. Yeah. yeah. Um, What's his name? William. William. Mm-hmm. I think he's fine. I think he I do too. probably met someone. He's yeah. He's doing okay. So the prosecution argues that Madeline had already lied at least once about the real purpose of the arsenic to the apothecary and stated that uh, Pierre's refusal to return her letters and end the re- affair was the motive enough for killing him. Um, and the defense countered by saying that nobody could solidly disprove Madeline's claim that she had not seen Pierre in the three weeks before his death. And Pierre's first attack happened two days before Madeline's first recorded purchase of arsenic, which is true. Okay. Okay. So, like, yes, he was getting sick, but that first attack happened before she went to get arsenic. Maybe she already had some arsenic. That's what I was thinking. Maybe she got some arsenic via somebody else. Or it's just at her house to kill rats months prior. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know. Hmm. Ultimately, it could not be proven that Madeline saw Pierre before his attacks. And so the jury concluded within 30 minutes that there was a verdict of not proven. Which means that they didn't think Madeline was innocent, but the prosecution didn't, didn't make a strong It's almost like the case. jury version of an Alford plea. Uh-huh. Yes. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, Madeline is set free. So, 
the aftermath of all this, the media would not let the case go. No, and they eventually, feel like she got away with murder. Uh-huh. Well, uh, maybe she did. Uh, so Madeline eventually has to leave Scotland, and she moves to London, and eventually she gets married to this man named George, and they have- George knew about her backstory? I don't know. I was such a big case that maybe. And do you marry someone that has that backstory? Well, maybe not. Because, like, I think she changed her name, too. At what too. date do you discover, like, how many dates in <gasps> do you discover that the person you're dating has that kind of crazy background? Nowadays or back then? Because nowadays both, you're... Both questions. You're Googling someone. Yeah. Immediately Googling and seeing that. Back then, months. It could be years. Would you, you let someone talk you... Like, if you Google a date, you went on a first date, I don't know how many dates in before you're like, ah, where you'd have a little questioning, mm-hmm. but, like, you're dating someone, new, newly into dating someone, you Google, and you get this, like, crazy result. Mm-hmm. Do you like cut a off, murder? Do you cut off communication completely, or are you, like, or do you allow them an opportunity to explain, like... They're think, like, let's say they were found innocent. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, well, this is strange. Mm-hmm. And they tell you their version of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, do you allow yourself to potentially date a murderer? There is variables. I know. How how has it been the first couple of days? It's a, is it the first or second? I don't like ghosting people. So I would just be like, hey, this is what I... too much for me. Yeah, this is what I found. I, I'm, I'm glad that you're working through it. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Have a nice life. If it's six months to a year, I'll be like... Why didn't you bring this up? Yeah, and then I'd be kind of upset about that because it's it's untruthful. Like, uh huh. Yeah. Ooh, I hate it because there's those guys like there's those guys that have their wives have died four times, ah. and all of them fell down the stairs. Do you know what I mean? Like that, those stories are out there. <laughs> With owls, not that one, but there's other ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the one at, like at the park. There was one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I hate it. But we all have a past. I know. Yeah. But the idea of like being sold on somebody and then mm-hmm. being like, ooh, did you murder somebody? Mm. It's crazy. I hate it. Okay. So she's married to George. They have two kids. They separate. So Madeline's trial after her separation from George, um, trail, sorry, not trial. Her tra- her trail gets kind of murky. Um, she There's rumors that she's living in Australia, that she's in France. Oh. She's changed her name. Yeah, she wants away from all that. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and they say that maybe her name is now Lena Wardle Sheehy. It's like weird. Um, uh, and that she's living in New York City. Um, but when you look at that person's name in the death certificate, mm-hmm. it would make her 30 years younger. So she kind of just... Yeah. Goes out into the wind. Um, But there's actually, there's no conclusion to whether she did or did not kill Pierre. There's a lot of conspiracy around did, it. but okay. Yeah. So at the time of Ma- Madeline's trial, some people felt that Pierre accidentally poisoned himself, mistaking mm. the arsenic for some other form of medicine. No, bullshit. But the problem with this area is that there's no arsenic or container he in his just, possession. He's not in the arsenic logs. He's yeah. Not, like, yeah, he's not in any of the poison books. It's a bunch of baby back bullshit. <laughs> he did not do that. There's another theory that Pierre killed himself on purpose and framed Madeline for his death. But again, there's no arsenic found in his possession. I, I'll give more credence to that than accidental. Yeah. Because he does seem intense. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think she killed him. But then the counter to that is... But how would he know that Madeline was buying arsenic on her own? Exactly. But then they're like, counter that. Pierre was maybe convincing her, being like, maybe you should get that for your face. 
or something like that. I don't know. Mm, bullshit. Uh, but no, there's no proof to either of that. Can it, you have another lady buy arsenic under her name? Oh, maybe. Oh, and so in one of the things, they're like, well, it's crazy that she was going to the apothecary and putting her name in the poison book. And she brought a friend one time to come buy it. So she wasn't being discreet about it. She was just buying it. But maybe like put yourself. Okay, flip it. Mm hmm. I want to come across as being completely on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I bring my friend with me to buy some poison. rat poison? Yeah, yeah. No, I've exactly. gone to the store with my friend to buy rat poison. Are you telling me right now that you have? Uh, it was a rat <laughs> trap, but <laughs> oh, same thing. Okay. Same, same, but different. <laughs> um, but again, like they're saying, oh, so she bought arsenic, but it, it's not accounted for. Like they don't know what it was used for. And so... The people who are even on Madeline's side are like, we don't think she was using it for her face. <laughs> Nobody buys that story. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I didn't really wrap that up. That's fine. No, but that, I mean, that's kind of the end of the story. Is it kind of ends with she went off into the wind. Mm-hmm. Who knows if she killed somebody after like. It's back into that. Is that one because you have those two different types of killers. Someone who was like, I'm in a pickle, I'm in a jam, and I got to get out of it. That's what they're, oh, no, I'm in a pickle. <laughs> I'm in a real pickle, and I just got to get this person. I, like, that's what the pickle is. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to cross that line that is not crossable for so many people. Yeah. But, like, it's just to get out of the jam. Mm-hmm. Then you have people who, like, get off on it. Like, it's a whole, like, their brain is all messed up. Mm-hmm. That's that's two very different types of killers Yeah. throughout the ages. Yeah. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think she was poisoning him. I and maybe too. maybe had been for a while, and like it wasn't enough to get him. And yeah. so, yeah, I will say that it definitely ended differently than the Notebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Oh, and another thing is like um, during the trial, they were talking about how um, they had found dark liquid in his like stomach and stuff, okay. but they weren't asked to look for um, like a way of death for like they didn't they weren't asked to like look at the contents of his belly mm. like intensively mm-hmm. so they're like we can neither confirm nor deny that it was her arsenic bottle because at the time when you bought it from a certain apothecary or a certain vendor it had a, a dye to it so you knew that that was arsenic and so do you know what that tells me what people were that tells me that people were poisoning people on the reg <laughs> the yeah. fact that it's now mandatory that every apothecary has to dye theirs a certain color yeah. so that you can check people's bellies. Yeah. People are poisoning people then. Yeah. That's what that tells me. Yeah. Or making like a sure of like, hey, don't even think about it because it's dyed this color yeah. and we'll figure it out. We yeah. got Bloods in the Crips back to 1850. <laughs> but that's a, so if they had been told to look for that certain color of dye, they might have realized. Yeah. That's fascinating. Isn't that cool? That is interesting. Um. Yeah, I thought this was such a cool story. It's a very cool story. Love, betrayal, murder. <laughs> it could easily be made into a movie. Hell yeah. Yay. Um, that kind of wrapped it wrapped it up for me. Okay. So what are you reading, watching, listening to? Oh, man. Well, to be honest, I've been super busy because uh, Kimberly and I are getting our fitness and uh, wellness company up and going. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And, you know, day job, podcast, you know, the huge. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jackie? I'm rewatching Star Wars. Fun. Yeah. Okay. 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 Are you watching it 
how it was released yes. or storyline. Have you ever watched it storyline? No. Like chronological? So, <gasps> tra- tra- Travis and I went back and forth. It was like, do we watch them as they were released? Mm-hmm. Do we watch it, you know, chronologically? Yeah. yeah. I'm banging stuff. He chose to start the story at episode four. Mm-hmm. If he knows the whole arc or if he chose the story someone else wrote, it doesn't really matter. He chose to start at four, mm-hmm. tell those three, go back, tell these three, mm-hmm. now tell these other ones. So I was like, I'm going to follow the person telling me the story. Wasn't it, and I could be wrong, but wasn't it a technology thing? He's like, we don't have the technology to do what he wanted in one uh-huh. three. I thought that's why. Oh, that's fascinating all all of that aside it is a have you watched them chronologically yes it is a whole nother experience watching them chronologically so i feel like it while not watching the story chronologically yeah. i'm still it's all very fresh mm-hmm. in my mind yeah and it's all super confusing and i feel like i should do trib, <laughs> trib notes to make sure i'm understanding it's almost like you should watch them chronologically <laughs> oh my god but i'd still i'd still be lost all right there's a lot of under there's stuff happening yeah no they're great they're fantastic anyway yeah that's what i'm doing yay they're very good perfect i'm happy for you <laughs> yeah it was i was trying to hit the timeline of like get it all done by the time the new one comes out mm-hmm. and then i was like Ugh, why create this deadline for myself <laughs> you hate deadlines. i don't need i really do <laughs> i don't need to hit uh day op- like opening day yeah it's gonna be crazy i always here's my thing while i love spoilers mm. i also hate them mm. and i don't like that's part of why timelines come up is like I want to be. I, I want to watch Game of Thrones the night it ends because I don't want to worry about oh. the internet the next day. Yes, people are ruiners. Mm-hmm. Did I? I've told you about the furrowing of the uh, banner my friends saw after Harry Potter came out at midnight. Oh yes, yes, yes. That, that's and like, upsetting. And he didn't read Harry. It was like he didn't care. Yeah, he understood the like how big that was. If you guys haven't finished Harry Potter. Turn it off right now. Turn our podcast off right now. Like, okay. Oh, you're running for your phone. One. You're not at your phone yet. Two. Oh my God. You better get there because we're going to spoil Harry Potter. Okay. Jackie. He's driving in Bay Area traffic and he's going, passing an underpass and a banner unfurls that just says Dumbledore dies. The book had been out for like six hours. I, what a, what a jerk that banner person is. That's insane. That's insane. It's crazy. That was such a pivot. Like, yeah. Anyway, so I do worry about people ruining things. Oh, 100%. I like to be on the same Who cadence. spends money to go put that on a billboard? Oh, people like being trolled. Stop. Oh, people love it. Stop it. Just love each other. Okay, we digress. This is where we're going to end the episode. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.